I'm a delighted to be at home. This is our home church. I'm the worst member you have because I'm never here. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm preaching somewhere every Sunday, which is a good thing. That's a God thing. Amen? Amen? But Brother Fred said, look, I know when you're not here, you're preaching. Just send your tithe in. That's all I care about. <laughs> I talked to Brother Fred late last night, and... Uh, he just said, well, I want you to get up and preach tomorrow. Now, don't worry about nothing. Just go ahead and preach. I said, well, I'm going to do that, Brother Fred. He said, don't piddle. I mean preach now. And uh, he's getting some good rest. I love my pastor. I love Brother Fred. I've been loving him a long time. <laughs> Oliver Cagle and Betty are out here. They've been knowing me since I was 12 years old. Pray for them. They've known me a long time. And S.L. and uh, Brother Ed and I go way back. Uh, I'm glad to have uh, uh, my wife with me today, my prime rib. Hold your hand up, Jamie. And, uh, and her sister and her husband, Mickey and Bertie. We're glad to have them in the service. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7. And I want us to look at the first three verses today. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about rekindling the fire of worship. And I know when we come in here, because when I'm here, I truly worship. And uh, I, I'm just telling you, you're blessed of God to have the worship leaders that you have. I mean, it, this just doesn't happen everywhere, assure me. I, 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 I'm assuring you, it, listen, it doesn't happen everywhere. But when you come here, you know that you're going to worship God. You know, I think one of the most important things in our lives is we need to be worshiping Him every day. It's not just when we get in here. If you're waiting till you get in here, you're missing out on a great opportunity to walk with Jesus every day in power. So listen to what the Word of God says. And I would ask you to stand for the reading of the Word of God, please, to honor His Word. There are thousands of people all over the world who would love to get a copy of His Word. And I just uh, feel like we need to stand when we read his word. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. Now when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, his mercy endures forever. Father, we thank you today that that is still true this morning of you. For you are good and your mercy endures forever. Father, speak to our hearts. Every person here, every home represented, from the pulpit to the pew, do a work in our hearts today and we'll give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. There are two times in the Bible when God appeared to Solomon. The first time God appeared to Solomon, it was a picture of redemption. The second time in this text when God appears to Solomon, it is a picture of revival. And you will notice they were getting ready to dedicate the temple. I know you're familiar with this story. By the way, they had 70,000 burden bearers, 80,000 stone cutters, 3,600 overseers, and they had finished building the temple. Solomon had done everything God asked him to do. And when it came time, of course, for them to dedicate the temple, 
all of a sudden, and this wasn't in the order of service for that, that day, I want you to know all of a sudden the glory, the manifest glory of God fell down. And fire fell down from heaven and consumed the sacrifices and the people were so caught up in the glory of God they fell on their face and they cried out before God for He is good for His mercy endures forever. Ladies and gentlemen, I tell you today, we need the manifest glory of God to fall on us. We need it in our churches. We need it in our homes. And God knows we need it in the United States of America. Like never before, we need the power of God to fall on us. I've had people tell me through the years, Preacher, when I get to heaven, i got so many questions to ask Jesus. Well, friend, let me help you with that. You're not going to ask him a thing. The Bible says when we get there, we will be like Him. And the moment we get there and we're like Him, we'll know everything He knows and we'll know everything about our lives. And it won't be no question and answer period in heaven. I'll tell you what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. We're going to fall on our face and cry out for He is good for His mercy endures forever. And the glory of God will be manifest. Won't it be great to get to heaven and never leave the power of His glory? Never get away from uh, who He is and where He is and what's going on in our lives. I'm telling you, I want us to rekindle the fire of worship that they saw here. I want to show you three things in the text. First of all, I want you to notice that they had to have God's help. We must have God's help if we're going to rekindle the fire of Worship. By the way, the word revival itself does not appear in the Bible, but the word revive is in there eight times in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word for the word revive is the word kaios, and it means to give life, to nourish up, to recover, to repair, to restore. And so revival in itself and rekindling the fire worship, it is from God a restoration. And you know what? You can't revive something that never has been saved. Revival's for the church. It's not for the lost world. When the church of God gets revived and we rekindle that fire of worship and we need God's help to do it, then other people will be saved. This is written to the church. I believe it with all of my heart. Old Dr. Vance Havner, great preacher of yesteryear. He talked through his nose, but he's the most quoted preacher that's ever lived today. He was something. I did a several meetings with him, Brother Ed, back in the Stone Ages. But anyway, old Dr. Vance Havner said this. He said, you can't revive something that ain't never been revived. I like that. So if you're going to have revival, you have to be saved. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now when I say Second Chronicles 7, everybody thinks of verse 14. You know it. Look at it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and do what? and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. God says, listen, I will do three things if you will do four things. Watch this. First of all, if you will humble yourself. Humble yourself before God. My goodness. I think sometimes when we pray, we just pray the wrong way. We just start out laying our petitions before God and we really need to have the down look at the book and fill up on the Word of God then have the up look at the Father 
and adore him for who he is, thank him for what he's done, and come to him as his very own child. And I'm telling you, that's when you learn to pray right there. And so really, what we need to see is God said, let me tell you, you humble yourself. Then he said, do a second thing, and pray, and pray. I had a lady in my office one time who was in trouble. She was talking to me about her situation. And when I finished listening to her, I told her, I said, well, the first thing we need to do is pray. And she looked at me, I never will forget it. She said, has it come to that? (laughs) And I I told her in the sweetest way I could, now I know why you're here. (laughs) You haven't made this a matter of prayer. Listen, God said, humble yourself and pray. Watch this. Then he said, seek my face. Seek my face. In other words, adore God for who he is. Beloved, listen to me. If you were approached by the Queen of England, would you ask her for $5? I mean, if you were approached by someone who was in the government, way up in the government, and you met them, would you say, can I borrow $5? No. Let me tell you something. We treat God many times like he's a cosmic bellhop. We only call for him when we need him. And then we lay out our petitions before him real quick. And God's waiting for us to fall on our face and adore him for who he is. That's what real prayer is. You know what I'm learning about prayer? I'm still learning. I'm learning when you get through praying, stay on your knees till he starts talking to you. I know this was on The View, and I don't watch The View, but they said the vice president was crazy because he heard from Jesus. Thank God for a vice president who can talk to Jesus and have Jesus talk to him. The lost world will never understand that till till they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We have to have God's help. Humble ourselves, pray, seek his face. Here's the one no one likes. You ready? Turn from your wicked ways. That means repent. Repent of your sin. You don't hear repentance preached much anymore because a lot of people don't like it. They don't want to hear it. Repentance means you not only confess your sin... But it means that when God forgives you of your sin, he not only forgives you of that sin, listen to this, but then he chooses in his sovereign power to forget that sin. He removes it. So five minutes later, Miss Bertha Smith used to tell me, if you repent of your sin and you confess it before God, and five minutes later it still bothered you, and you get back on your knees and say, God, oh, how about that sin I was just talking about? She said, God's going to look at you and say, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a clue. Why? Because God not only forgives sin, but he chooses in his sovereign power, watch this, to forget that sin. And all the people said, that's good. Our problem is we don't forget it, but he forgets it. Humble yourself, pray, seek my face, turn from your wicked way. And then God said, I'll do three things for you. I will hear from heaven. I will hear from heaven. Oh, we have two beautiful girls. One's 37, one's 32. My, they've grown up quick. Our oldest daughter was in my office one day when she was about eight, and I was trying to write a sermon, Brother S.L., and, and she kept interrupting me, and I just told her, her name's Chrissy. I said, Chrissy, baby, will you please just, will you just, you know, I, can you just come back later? I mean, I'm trying to finish this sermon. 
I never will forget that. She was about eight. She looked at me with big tears in her eyes, and she said, Daddy, what's your sermon on anyway? I said, it's on joy. She said, well, you need to tell your face about it. Well, <laughs> but the main thing I got out of that was when my daughter wanted to speak to me, she wanted to speak to me right then. Amen? You know what I did? I learned a great lesson. I stopped everything I was doing. I said, come here, girl. She crawled up in my lap. And I said, what you want to talk to Daddy about? Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's on your heart. I don't know what you've been through. But I'm going to tell you something. You've got a heavenly Father. If you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, you've got a Savior seated at His right hand, and He's interceding for you today, and He is waiting for you to stop what you're doing and crawl up in His lap and tell Him all about it. Well, He'll hear from heaven. He'll forgive your sin. And then this is the part that gets me fired up. He'll heal your land. Oh, wouldn't you love to see God do something in this country that no one could explain? All of a sudden, all over the nation, the glory of God manifested in our services. Brother Ed, wouldn't it be something if we got together to worship and the glory of God was so evident we couldn't preach, we couldn't sing? All we could do is just fall on our face before God and cry out, for his help. I want you to see that we not only need his help. Number two. We need his holiness. We need God's holiness. If you'll notice in this text. In this prayer. In verse 14. It was a humble prayer. A brokenness over our condition. When I first started preaching a long time ago. People would come to the altar. And they would be broken hearted. And I see today as I travel all over the world. I see today many people. Listen to this. The things that used to break us and the things we used to weep over, now they giggle about. And we wonder why we're where we are. It was a humble prayer, a heavenly prayer, and it needs to be a holy prayer. I think the church needs to be holy. But you and I can't be holy, listen to this, unless God through us is holy by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We just don't get up and put on a big old coat and say, I'm going to church today and I'm going to be holy. It doesn't work that way. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to a New Testament passage. I want to read something to you about holiness. It's in 1 John, there it is, chapter 2, verse 15. Listen to what the Word says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's number one, the lust of the eyes, that's number two, and the pride of life, that's number three, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides, how long? Forever. Let's talk a little bit about why the church is not holy like we should be. Why America is not holy like she should be. Because I think there are three classes of this world system in this text. And I'm afraid to tell you, but I'm going to tell it like it is, preacher. What is happening in the secular world has moved over into the church of the living God. Now, as I tell you some of this, you think about what I'm about to say and see if it's true or not. God said there's three things out in the secular world that can identify you with the secular world. Number one, he said, it's the lust of the flesh. 
Did you know in the Bible there's 17 listings for the, for the lust of the flesh? I know you're thinking right now, Lord, please don't let him list all of them. Number one, adultery. Number two, fornication. Number three, sexual perversion. Are we there in America? Number four, lasciviousness. What does that mean? Filthy, lewd emotions. Number five, idolatry. Number six, witchcraft. Number seven, hatred. Number eight, variance. What does that mean? People who love to quarrel. Number nine, emulations, meaning envies, cliques, striving. Number 10, wrath. Number 11, strife. Number 12, seditions. Number 13, heresies. Number 14, envies. Number 15, murderers. Number 16, drunkenness. Number 17, revelings. All of these are part of the lust of the flesh. There are people today who are living in these areas, but listen to me. That will not stand. One day it's coming to a screeching halt. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for the trumpet to sound. All these people trying to bash Christians and everything else, well, don't worry about it. I got some great news for you. The Lord's going to take us home, and then they can have it. Bless God, I'm out of here. I mean, when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise first. The rest of us are saved. We'll be caught up in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I know it's going to happen faster than you can blink your eyes, what the Bible said, but I wish I had time, Brother Ed, to look back and say, I told you so, but I'm not going to have time to do that. (laughs) 17 works of the flesh. They're prominent today in American society. Then there's a second thing right here. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Oh, I never thought I'd ever say this. But listen, lust for women and men. Have you ever thought you'd live in a time when you'd get up and say, well, there's lust for men for men and women for women? I I, I preached live, streaming live when I pastored. And and, and Brother Herb knows that when I preached a message like this, I got threats from all over. I got a threat from a company in New York City. And... uh, I'm telling you what, I came in my office two weeks after I talked about this, and I'm telling you there was a rattlesnake in my office. Someone had put in my office. I felt led to get out of there real quick. But I want to tell you something right now. That's just the way the world is today. If you say something about it from the pulpit, you're an old fogey, old-timer, old-country preacher, and you better look around and be politically correct. I'm interested in being what God wants me to be. Not politically correct. (laughs) Lust of the eyes, covetousness, idol worship, enjoying the company of evil. Oh, has any of that ever flowed over into the church? Not only lust of the flesh, watch this. Not only lust of the eyes, but here's one I think that affects the church more than anything. Listen to this. The pride of life. Uh Uh-oh. The pride of life. Now, when you list the pride of life, the first thing that's listed is self-righteousness. Ever met someone like that? I know some preachers that can strut sitting down. (laughs) You say, preacher, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to give you one good illustration. When I pastored Magnolia Springs Baptist Church a long time ago, there was one lady there by the name of Elsie. S.L., I know you're not going to believe this, but she didn't like me. It was a shocker. 
Every time I speak to her, she goes, ha! Like that, just walk off. I told my wife she doesn't like me. My wife said, oh, you reckon? I said, what have I done to offend her or make her mad? Jamie said, I don't know, but the only way you're going to find out is to talk to her. I said, I don't want to talk to that woman. She mean. One day, it was raining, I never will forget it, and she drove up in the uh, front of the church in that big old Cadillac she had, and we didn't have a nice parking lot like y'all. We had oyster shells. Y'all may not know what I'm talking about, but we had oyster shells for a parking lot. And it was raining, and I ran out there with an umbrella. And I, I opened her door, and I mean, the rain was coming down. It's a true story. And she looked up at me instead of saying thank you. She looked up at me and said, what's he doing? I said, well, I'm helping you. It's raining. Well, I tell you what, when I drove up here, I didn't see you helping nobody else out of their car. I don't know why you're coming out here to me. I said, well, your nose is on upside down. I'm afraid you're going to drown today. <laughs> True story. <laughs> to which she said to me, huh. I got through preaching that morning. Monday morning came, and I love Mondays, but I got in the office. She called, come to my house. It wasn't, hello, how you doing? Come to my house. I knew the voice. I'll never forget the sound of that voice. But I said, no, ma'am. I just did that to get a response from her. What do you say? You're my pastor, and I'm telling you to come to the house. And you need to visit when you need to visit. I mean, come right now. I said, I'll be there in a few minutes. And I got off the phone. I'm going to show you how brave I am. I went. <laughs> but I took my wife with me. I'm talking about self-righteousness. You think I've lost my point. I know right where I am. I told my wife, oh, I dread this. I dread it. But when I got in there and sat down in her kitchen, she looked at me and she said, well, here's the way it is. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I like you as a person. I said, Jamie, go get my heart medication. I had to call Watch this, though. She said, but I don't like your preaching. And so I said as sweet as I could to her, well, ma'am, God called me to preach a long time ago. And his message has not changed. And you may hate the messenger, but I'm not changing the message. It's not going to change. And then she looked at me and said, well, I thought about it. I just had to move my membership. I knew he was going to say that. But she said... Instead of doing that, I really need to get saved. Now that's more like it, amen? 73 years old. She got on her kitchen floor with Jamie and I and begged Jesus to come into her heart. Oh, it was precious. And I baptized her. She's the only woman I ever baptized with a shower cap on. That's the truth. That's the truth. Ask my wife. When I got her in the baptistry, I whispered to her, Elsa, you got a shower cap on? She said, I just had my hair done yesterday. <laughs> so I just held her down longer. Amen? It didn't matter to me. No, I really didn't, but I thought about it. I don't know why you ladies go get these permanents. They ought to call them temporaries. Nothing permanent about it. You go every week. 
She became my dearest friend. What a difference it means to be in love with somebody who's in love with Jesus Christ. Oh, that this church and all of our churches would be so in love with Jesus that it would flow over into the community. Amen? Self-righteousness, fighting over positions, power, riches, vainglory, strength to war, constant vaunting of oneself. Oh, was any of that, my beloved, fell into the church. And yet, we want to sing holy, holy, holy. And God's pinpointing in our hearts. When you take care of this, when you deal with this, I'll move in power in your life and holiness. I want you to see a third thing and I'm finished. Not only do we have God's help and God's holiness, but we need to be lifted to God's height. The height of who God is. You say, Brother Don, you talking about some second blessing? No, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about reigning and walking with Jesus every day. God's height, the person of who he is. I believe with all of my heart, and when the Lord gave me this message, it just broke my heart, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. As I travel across the country... I believe with all of my heart we've made, we've made our churches a house of praise. There's nothing wrong with that. We've made our church a house of preaching. There's nothing wrong with that. We've made our churches a house of precious fellowship, and there's nothing wrong with that. But here's where the Holy Spirit grips my heart. Does our praying match our praise, our preaching, and our precious fellowship? In other words, when I'm preparing a sermon, and it may take me a long time to write one, have I spent that much time in prayer? We need to be lifted to the height of God's person in our lives. I just want to tell you this very positively. There's no one like him. We've been singing all morning. Jesus is Lord of all. Yes, he is. Well, Jamie and I just came back. It hadn't been too long ago from being in Peru in a crusade. An amazing event. First of all, God woke me up one morning about 2.30 and said, I want you to go to Peru. Herb, I got up and went in there and got my chair and got me a pencil and some paper. And I said, yes, sir, tell me what you want me to do. The Lord just began to reveal to me what he wanted me to do. I wrote it out. Then when I got through writing it all out, I thought to myself, well, if I get an interpreter and I get the one I want and I get his wife and then I get uh, that singing band that's already down there, I need somebody that can uh, sing in Peruvian language. And, and all of the logistics of all of it, I wrote down on the bottom of that page that morning at 2.30, $10,000. That's what I wrote. I called my friend. I said, I want you to go with me to Peru and interpret. He said, and he's a Baptist preacher. Sounds just like a Baptist preacher. What's it going to cost? How are we going to get there? You got the money? How are we going to go? Am I expected to pay anything? I said, man, when you get finished popping all the questions... 
Just get on your face when we get off the phone. Ask God what he's going to do about it. I'm just trying to share with you what God told me. So I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do with you. <laughs> I told him, I said, I love you so much that when God makes a way for me to go, you be, you be ready, have your bags packed. I'll call you back and let you know. Two days later, my wife and I were at home. One of our dear friends who's a physician in the church where I pastored, uh, she came in. She was crying a little bit, and I, I, I didn't know what was wrong. I'd already resigned, but I was willing to help her or anybody else. She had marital problems, and I thought, well, she's, she's brokenhearted over something. And I sat down with her, and I said, what's wrong? She said, well, not this morning, but yesterday, the same morning. said, 2.30, God woke me up and told me to come by here and give you a check. Something about Peru. I think you need to go over there and dig a water well. I said, a what? She said, I just got this vision, dig a well. I said, well, how about me sharing the living water? She said, well, I'll go for that too. And with trembling hands, she wrote out a check. I said, well, don't make it out to me. I have a board with five godly men on it. It's a nonprofit agency. They handle the money. I don't handle the money. All I do is go for Jesus. That's all I do. I told her who to make it out to, and she said, well, let me tell you, the Lord told me, make it out for $10,000. Hello? <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you, when she left the house, I had a happy dance. I'm sorry, but I, I'm just going to tell you. I couldn't believe it. I got my team together. We started on our way over there. The last time I went there, I had to stand in line two and a half hours through custom. And I got my team together. <laughs> One of them is on my board, and he's a good, godly man. And I said, let's pray. We're in the airport now. When you're flying to Lima, a city of 12 million, 12 million. I've been to New York several times. Nothing compared to Lima. 12 million people in an 80-mile radius. So... You have to go through the only airport there, and there's always 5,000 people in that airport. So we flew into Lima, and when we got there, I turned to my team, and I said, let's have prayer. I said, Lord, make us invisible. That's all I prayed, Herb. Lord, just make us invisible. And uh, one of my board members, the guy, Bill, who was with me, he said, you, do you hear what you just prayed? I said, yeah. He said, you looked in the mirror lately. Lord going to make you invisible? He said, I, I, I don't know, Brother Don. Sometimes I wonder about you. I said, well, you just wait and see. Well, before we left, I had three doctors that gave me the parts, listen to this, to a whale. And they used the word smuggle. I'm sorry, I don't like that word. But they said, would you smuggle these parts in for this Acacia Indian village to get their water again? Lightning struck their whale. I know nothing about no whale. But I said, sure. Last time a preacher did that, they charged him $3,000 to get the components to the whale in Peru. Of course, the people who charged him just put it in their pockets. We went in that airport of 5,000 people with our luggage. And this little guard, bless his heart. I, I know y'all think I didn't stand out. But they were about this tall. And then there was me. 
And he came up to me, and I guess he thought we were diplomats. I don't know what he thought, but he said, move on through. Move on through. Get your group and move on through. Move on through. And I got my group. You know what I did? I moved on through. <laughs> and they walked us right through. They never checked our luggage. They never said a word to us. Right behind me, I stayed behind my team. When they got through, they put chains behind me. And then they started opening tables and checking everybody's luggage. But my group got on through. That's a God thing, ladies and gentlemen. And when I got out in the taxi with my group, old Bill whispered to me, I'll never question another one of your prayers. God made you invisible. And we walked right on through. I got to finish. Let me tell you what God did. We had over 200 people saved in five nights. Oh, I've never seen anything like it. I've been there before and I've been overseas before. But everywhere I went, people would stand in line to get in. They'd start standing in line about five. Service would start around seven or eight. And they'd come in and they'd be every seat taken. One place, over a thousand people. They'd be standing along the walls. And when I gave the invitation, the manifest glory of God fell. Mothers and daddies, grandpas and grandmas and children came running to Jesus. One night I was preaching, and when I got through and gave the invitation, people were standing outside listening to me. And 150 people were saved in that one setting. And they got up out of their seats and came forward to trust Christ. The one standing outside ran in and got in their seats. And I did something very unusual. I'd take up a love offering every night. But this is what I'd do. Listen to this. I'd turn around and I'd give that offering back to that church. They wept. I didn't have to ask for anything. Because my God had supplied my needs according to his riches and glory. Sunday school teacher, the time you put in studying that lesson, have you put that much time in prayer? Oh, that God would call us to pray. Well, that's my message. And I'm going to give you a two-fold invitation. Number one, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you want to trust Him today, I'm telling you on the authority of the Word of God, He will save you. And if you'll come forward during this invitation, Brother S.L., some of the other men that are here, myself, I'm going to come down here, we'll take time and show you what it says in the Word of God, how you can trust Jesus. There may be some Elsies in here. You may have been in church a long time, but you just didn't know Jesus. Come today and trust him as your Lord and Savior.